This episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast is produced by Cake Pie Games. Cake Pie Games, games that are a piece of cake to set up and easy as pie to teach. Welcome to the Periscope, the show where we take a closer look at crowdfunding projects. Join us as we talk with guests about why you should back their future board games today. You're your host. Hey, Voyagers, welcome to the Periscope, the show where we talk about all great things crowdfunding that's going on with the next couple weeks or days, usually what's going on right now. I have a very special guest for us, one of the members, the teammates at All Play. We have Mr. Joe Wiggins. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It, it's going good. I mean, I imagine you're pretty exhausted. This, we're recording this just coming off of Essen. So yeah. how, how was Essen for you guys, your first time there? Yeah, Essen was great, really busy, lots of meetings, uh, but really good just team of staff over there. Uh, just lots of product. People were very excited. And the team's pretty tired. I'm still pretty jet lagged, but um, got to get back and get the campaign going for uh, this upcoming Kickstarter we have. Yes, that's what we're here to talk about today. Like, I'm always excited when All Play comes out with a new Kickstarter. It's no secret that me and Andrew, we love All Play. It's one of our favorite publishers. You guys haven't really produced a game I haven't liked yet. <laughs> like, I mean, I have not liked it. Like, I usually love all your games. I'm usually working there, Air Guys booth. So, I'm excited for these three. One because you know we'll get to it, but it's Through the Desert, which is a Reiner Knizia game. We have Switchbacks, which is. Your small box games, which I'm always excited about, and a message from the stars. I know Clarence, and I'm, you know, I'm acquainted with him, so I'm excited to see his designs go out. But I want to let you talk about all of that. What do you do for All Play? Like, what's your job there? So I am. My official title is the COO, um, and what that means is um, I'm a partner in the company, and I basically run the day-to-day operations. Uh, I'm in charge of most things related to the board game side of things, as well as just kind of project managing most things in the company, making sure the employees are all up to date, getting everything done. Uh, It's really just uh, a lot of task management and project management. Okay, awesome. That's the the business side of the gaming, the fun side, as I like to call it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, sometimes I think of it that way as well. Um, I'm, I'm in a lot of meetings. Um, that's yes. uh, really what it boils down to. Yeah. There's not a time when I'm either when I'm at the all play booth or at a convention or I'm talking with the team, team guys there. It's like, you're always in a meeting. It's just, it just makes me laugh. It's like, Joe's in a meeting probably. He's like, yeah, he is. So that's fun. So recent, so people sometimes still refer to you guys as boardgametables.com, but you're all play now. Could you briefly touch, what was the decision switching to, you know, boardgametables.com to all play? Well, the company first started making custom board game tables. um, And then we started making more budget-friendly tables with the Duchess and then what eventually became the Jasper. Um, Sometime in there, we also started selling bags. And even at the time, the bags were kind of... uh, accessory item to really promote the tables. Um, So BoardGameTables.com was really an SEO play. Uh, But as we started publishing board games, we realized that um, it was something we were very passionate about, something that we were really excited about. And before we knew it, we were publishing 
uh, six to seven and now upwards of nine games a year. And um, with that growth in that sector, BoardGameTables.com was kind of a name that wasn't really working for the company as well. We were always referred to in reviews as like, yeah, they're like a table company that makes board games. Uh, It also meant that like some people didn't really take us seriously as a publisher. And so when we decided to do a rebrand, we really wanted to come with a name that really encompassed all aspects of what we did, whether it was the furniture, the accessories, or the actual board game publishing itself. Um, And I would say that we try to be a diverse company and we try to make sure we're doing all three of those things very well. Um, But yeah, we definitely have a big focus on the board game publishing side of things. And that's what really led to the rebrand as all play. Yeah. I always thought, you know, boardgametables.com was super quirky and I liked it. And so when you switched to all play, I was like, Oh, I'm going to miss that. I don't like this. This is, I really like this. But as I've, you know, gotten to know the company more and play the guys games, like, kid, no, this makes sense. And you guys have a really great branding. So Awesome to hear that this is working out for you. But, you know, we're here to talk about your guys' next campaign. So let's go ahead and jump into it. You ready? I'm ready. I heard you got some, uh, as you said, tough questions to ask. Oh, yeah. I try to ask the tough questions here. <laughs> Just from, right. a, from a backer's perspective and stuff. So this is a campaign with three games. We've done this kind of thing before recently with Matthew Ryan's Tiny Game series. Mm-hmm. And I like these kind of three games like campaigns are super interesting to me, but let's go ahead. If you could give a brief overview of what this campaign is for our listeners. Yeah. So generally when we launch a board game campaign, uh, we will have spring releases and fall releases, and then we generally will have a non board game Kickstarter. And sometimes that's accessory or furniture, or sometimes um, it's just something completely different. And then we usually have like one other like wild card Kickstarter throughout the year. So we generally will run four Kickstarters. But the spring and fall releases will generally fall into one of two things. It will be four small box games or um, two big and one small. That's kind of how we have traditionally paired things up and how we kind of look at things going forward. Not to say that that's always going to be the case, but this is a two big box and one small box campaign. I think it still keeps the price point uh, where people feel like they're getting a good value without having to spend, I'm sorry, hundreds of dollars to you know get what we're offering in the campaign. Well, awesome. So what are these three games you're bringing for this fall Kickstarter? Yeah, so it is going to be a new edition, and I believe this will be the third English edition of Reiner Knizia's Through the Desert, which oh. in 2024 will be the 25th anniversary of this game when we actually are able to deliver it to Kickstarter backers. Um, So we are very excited about that. It hasn't been available for quite a long time since the Z-Man edition that came out in the mid-2010s. So it has been out of print for a good long while. It's been really hard to get a copy of this game. And then we also have uh, a brand new title from Clarence Simpson, the designer of Chomp and uh, one of the co-designers of The Wolves that came out from Pandasaurus. And that is going to be a message from the stars. And finally, we have a small box game, which is in our one minute to teach line, which is the line that includes Mountain Goat, Sequoia, Dandelions, and Chomp. So this will be the newest addition to that. And that game is Switchbacks. 
Awesome. All of these sound great. So let's go and do this in a brief moment one at a time. I think I'm going to at least save Through the Desert last because I'm sure I'll have some more questions about that. But let's start with a message from the stars. So this okay. is Clarence's game. Love Clarence. He's a great guy. Helps me a lot with my designs and I play test his stuff. This is one of the games I've actually play tested before. So what attracted you to signing this game and bringing it to the all play line? Um, this was this is actually an easy question. So I try to go to Unpub every year. I think Unpub is a great place to scout early designs. And when I was there, I saw Clarence playtesting this, and he was behind a big Mysterium sc- uh, screen. And there were a bunch of people playing this game, and they were passing cards back and forth with words written on them, and everybody was like arguing and talking about what you know what they thought, and they were marking things down on like a little sheet that was at the time like a Ouija board, and they were just kind of like marking stuff off. And I just was watching the interaction at the table, and I was very attracted to what was going on. So I walked up to the table and just kind of took a look. And behind Clarence's screen, I saw that he had a bunch of letters and he was writing numbers associated to words on this, like as people gave them to him. And people were like arguing about aluminum versus metal versus like what could something mean. And I was trying to like get a read for it. And what I realized is they were playing like this really intense logic and deduction based game. And I'm a big fan of games like that. Search for Planet X, Turing Machine, really games that are like in that vein. Decrypto would also be in there. And I was really intrigued by the design. So I was like, I want to play next. So I just waited around until that group finished. And then I sat down to play this game and I instantly fell in love. Uh, As somebody who, you know, loves games like that, really crunchy logic and deduction games, this game really scratched an itch that very few games that have ever come out on the market scratched for me. And this is a game that I signed because I loved it. I loved it. And and I will just go out on a limb and I'm going to say this. When this game comes out, this will be my number one favorite game in the entire all-play catalog. I am very excited about this game. I love this game a lot. I think it's an incredible design, and I think that we have really done some great development work to it to get it to be very accessible to people because it is quite an intense game when it comes to the logic and deduction side of it. That is, that is super high praise. So what separates it from like other team-based games that you think like Captain Sonar or you know things of that nature where team-based games don't come out too often? What separates it from those ones? Yeah, so this can be played uh, as a full co-op or as a team-based game, and I think both have um, – it really just depends on the group size depending on how you want to divide it up. But what I would say about this game is it's really not meant to be – competitive it's meant to be the game shines most in the logic and deduction element in the puzzle the puzzle is incredibly ingenious the way that you can use the different things that you're given the value of the words the rarity of the words how things distribute amongst the different things the trust letters amplify letters and suspicion letter um, basically all work together to actually work to provide like a really crunchy puzzle that is really difficult to solve. As the person behind the screen, you kind of have all of the information, but how you give it to the players to get them to solve it and what they're picking up on is really the game you're playing. Whereas on the other, you're reacting to the messages that you're being given and the numbers on them and really trying to figure out like, what can I do deduction wise? And every, like, there's always a moment in the game where like the players are like, okay, 
this gives us this information and it's not a lot. And then this gives us this information and it's not that much. And then uh, somewhere there's a clue that's given and all of a sudden it's like, bam, wait, okay, if this means this, then we can figure out this. And then that's this letter, which means it can't be over here. And then we, that means that these letters go and And basically they're starting to decode the entire cipher. And that's only half the game because there's also like association cards where you have to get them to guess the actual message at the end. So you have to associate the clues you're giving, not just to help them get the cipher, but to also help them decode the message at the end of the game. It's really a brilliant design and we're super excited about it because um, it's really involved. So the game the, it really shines with the puzzle of it as opposed to the team-based or co-op mode. I think both play very similar. It's really just breaking down what is your group size so that you don't get stuck with it being full co-op and you have eight players and they don't really have that much to do. Awesome. I could talk more and more about this, I think, but I want to move on to the next game. So that was, that was Message from the Stars by Clarence Simpson. Let's talk about switchbacks from your one-minute teach line, one of my favorite lines. Mountain Goats is a game I consistently take to my game nights and try to show off to people because I love it so much. So what is this one-minute – I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. What is the one-minute-to-teach game line that you guys have at all play? So the one minute to teach line is, so all of our games are now, uh, along with the rebrand, broken down into different lines. We have the big box, which has two lines. It's the fun for everyone and then the strategy line. And then we have in the small box, we have three different categories of games. We have tricky card games, which are trick-taking and trick-taking adjacent games. And then we have um, small box big game, which is basically games that are pretty thinky, pretty big, meaty games in a small box. And then the final one is what we would call maybe the purest line because we use the same artist, the same typography for every game in there. And that is the one minute to teach line. Um, we're very protective of the games that go into this line because we try to be very careful because we want to curate them very well. Because these are games where the rules overhead is extremely simple, but the decision space is very deep. And so the more complicated the game gets, the less it's able to fit into this. And we want it to be something where there is strategy. There is decisions that you're making during the game. It's not light and fluffy games. It is games with real strategy, but they're easy to introduce to anybody that you might come across, no matter what their experience level of the gamer is. And so that's why we've kind of coined it as the one minute to teach line, because it's really a game that focuses on doing one thing really, really well. And so what attracted you to include switchbacks in this line? So we pick up a lot of games from Japan. In fact, we have a scout that goes to every uh, Tokyo Game Fair and picks up basically every single game. And he gets home and he plays them in just marathon game days and then comes to us what, with what he considers to be the best games for our catalog. And so we've been working with him for a number of years and he has found us some incredible titles. And he came to us with a game that originally was called Connect 37. And now one thing that I try to make sure that people understand is that a lot of times these Japanese games, when they come out, um, they have only had maybe a hundred copies made ever and are very difficult to get. So sometimes people are like, oh, this is just a reprint of another game. And I'm like, Literally, there are prototypes that have been in wider distribution <laughs> than some of these Japanese games. Like a lot of these Japanese games come in like a Ziploc bag with sheets of paper to cut into cards yourself. Like they are not distributed 
games, right? Like we are really developing them from the ground up. Yeah. Um, but Connect 37 was one of these Japanese titles that we found and we really fell in love. It is a very simplistic tile laying game, but every turn, the decision of which tile to place and what to place out on the tile is really, really exciting and really, really makes an interesting decision every time you play. So in this game, there's just tiles numbered 1 through 37, and you have a couple of tokens. Um, the, Jap the original Japanese game basically had no theme. It was just colors. That was all it was. And so we gave it kind of this uh, mountain climbing uh, theme uh, in the term of switchbacks, because a switchback is really a path that you make through the mountain, and you're trying to connect paths of tiles of four or greater and get your pieces on them. And so that's kind of like the impetus of the game is on your turn, you lay a tile and then you either place one of your scoring tokens on it, or you can take two of your scoring tokens and put them together and not place them on the board. But every turn you will be either forming a double or you will be placing a token on the board. So every turn your tokens are going to go onto the board or score or get paired together to go onto the board as a group later. And that's a really interesting decision because sometimes you have a tile in your hand and you're like, I know that this will score because you see on the board, there's like the tile 16, 17, 18, and you have the 19 in your hand, but you don't have any doubles. So maybe you play a tile somewhere else that you don't think is going to score. And then you take two of your pieces and group them together so that on your next turn, you can play the 19 and get two pieces on the scoring tile. But... There's a possibility that by the time it gets back around to you, that place that you need to put the 19 in in order to get to score isn't going to be there. So it's definitely a game where it has some interesting decisions about what you're going to do with what tiles are in your hand, what your predictability on scoring. There's a very somewhat semi-cooperative nature because people need to work together to score tiles. So if you have a run of three tiles and you have like all double tokens on it, the other players are going to work really, really hard to let you not score that. But if you have like a run of three tiles and everybody has some pieces on it, everyone at the table is incentivized to grow that length of tiles because as long as it's not really contributing to the win of one player, I could talk about this game at length, but I, I'm really, we really love the simplicity of the design. We loved how we felt about it going into it, the development of the theme, as well as some of the mechanics that we cleaned up a bit. It's going to be a really beautiful game and we're really excited about the production of it. I want to touch a little bit on this. So you guys do do a lot of Japanese game design. Why should you know backers you know care about the Japanese game design market? In, in your opinion, because I think I personally think there's a lot there. But from someone who produces a lot of these games, what are your thoughts for people who, might, who don't know about this? So the Japanese game market is a very interesting um, market, um, and with the exception of companies like Oink, uh, there and very few others. Very few Japanese game designers actually care about running a board game company. They, they don't. They care about designing really interesting games. And from a cultural perspective, what that means is they're not interested on making games that have the biggest potential to be massive hits or massive um, sells. They want to make games that are interesting and unique and that they like. And what that does is I think that that lends itself towards the creativity in those markets being at the very high end of the level as opposed to designing for a mass broad audience. And another thing is Japanese designers typically are designing with minimalist um, instincts uh, at the core of what they're doing, right? As few components and as few ex 
extra, you know, just like extra rules in the game. And they're just kind of making like clean, simple designs as interesting as they can. And so that's really where I feel like some of the most creative and interesting designs are coming out of Japan. And if you think about it, this has been happening since like the advent of Love Letter, right? Like Love Letter was a Japanese game that came out and it was like 16 cards in just a brilliant design space. And there are still games like that being designed every single year in Japan. Um, but those, uh, we actually were just at Essen and we met most of the Japanese publishers that we have done games for. We met Taiki Shinzawa, who had designed uh, Ghosts of Christmas, Nine Lives, and Big Top that we've done. We also met the designers of Sale and the designer of Couture. Um, there were lots of real, a lot of the Japanese designers were there and they were very excited because they like what we're doing with their games. They like the beautiful artwork, the beautiful production, the cleaned up development. Like a lot of them looked at the games that we designed and the changes that were made and they're like, yes, that's better. But that's because, you know, to them, they wanted to just put the game out there onto the market with like 20, 50 copies at Tokyo Game Market, and they're moving on to the next thing. Whereas when a company like us comes along and can add amazing artwork, can add some really clean development styles and really think through what's going to be best for this game in the market, they're really excited about that. And they are excited to work with us on future games, which is what we really want, is kind of honoring what that designer did and started with and taking it to a level where it's actually a game that can be successful in the market. Uh, so J Jap Japan is really, and there's other companies right now or other regions, Brazil and Argentina also have kind of like upcoming really big board game bubbles. So maybe we'll be looking into those designs in the future. But uh, right now we just really have um, a great uh, relationship with what's happening in Japan in the game design space and uh, really excited about the future and what other titles are going to come forward. Uh, I, get, I could talk forever too about this because it's another topic that excites me, but let's get to Through the Desert. So that was Switchbacks. So Through the Desert, a pretty famous Reiner Knizia game. How did you guys get the rights to reprint it? Let's just start there. <laughs> okay, so Through the Desert. So I'm going to try to do this um, as politely as possible. Because it, uh, not that there was any impoliteness in the design, but I just don't want this to come across as a negative in any way for any part of the story. But I will give you Dig into story. it. Dig into it. <laughs> um, so I met with Reiner Knizia at uh, Essen in 2022. And we had a meeting because we were doing pollen. Um, and in that meeting, I had asked, hey, what's going on with Through the Desert? Because I know that a different company um, had the rights to it. And they had kind of been teasing it for a couple of years at that point, right? Um, and I just hadn't heard anything about it. And so I asked them, I was like, hey, what's going on with Through the Desert? And they're like, well, we don't know. We just haven't had a lot of communication from that company. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I know the guy that owns that company, so maybe I'll reach out to him and see what's going on. Um, so I did reach out to him around that time and he's like, oh yeah, we still have plans to do it and everything like that. And I was like, okay, no, no, no worries. Um, and then fast forward to February at Dice Tower West and that company was not going to be there. And I was like, oh, I thought that that company was going to be here. And somebody was like, oh, well their Kickstarters are really late delivering and no one's really been communicating with the backers. And I think since then that has improved a bit, but I kind of went to those Kickstarters, saw that, you know, the publisher was in a little bit of trouble and 
I, my instinct was not let me grab through the desert, but I thought to myself, I was like, you know, we really would love to do through the desert. Maybe I'll reach out to that designer and see if we can buy the rights of through the desert off of him and do it. Um, because maybe that's something where he's not in a position to actually do through the desert and he really needs the finances that he might have tied up in through the desert to actually get some of these games finished. And so that was my intention. Um, so I reached out to him and then I also reached out to Reiner Knitzi at the same time to just make sure like through his, through him that like he would be okay with us doing that. Um, and I got an email back first from Reiner Knizia and he said, we took the rights back. And right now there's a really big German company that is looking at it, but first come first serve. We love what you've done with pollen. If you want it, do it. And I signed the contract that day. I was like done. Um, so then when the uh, guy finally got back to me, I was like, Hey, no hard feelings, but I did reach out to Reiner Knizia and we actually have the rights now. But I told him, I know that you've done some work on this. I know that you've gotten some artwork on it. And I think you've done a really good job with it. Um, they had kind of done like a box cover and some expansion ideas development wise. We paid him a very fair sum so that we could get all of the assets to what he had done for the game up to that point, which wasn't much, but it was some, some, some stuff. And so we paid him a very, a very fair price for that. Um, and me and him are still on really good terms. We're communicating. He's really excited about us doing it as well. So there's really no hard feelings there. We, we did not steal the game away or anything like that. It was very all above board done. Correct business. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we stayed in communication with that publisher throughout the entire, in fact, to this day, like I am sharing with him all of the updates about what we've done with the game. Um, and he'll be credited in the expansion as one of the people that helped develop some of the ideas in the expansion. So we have the rights to it and we're publishing it. And uh, we're really excited because I think Through the Desert uh, is a game that fits a lot of the ideals of what all play does, right? Very simple rules with very deep strategy, uh, a game with a short play time, very easy to understand rules, but just a game that you can play over and over and over again and keep discovering new strategies and new things that you can do. Are there any major changes that backers can expect from the most preposition to this one? Yeah, uh, there are. Um, so <laughs> let, let's, let's start with uh, number one. So the previous edition of Through the Desert by Z-Man Games was a $60 price point, MSRP. Um, our box sizes are only two box sizes and our big box is $40. So it is going to be a $40 MSRP. Uh, the second is not, you can think what you want about previous editions of Through the Desert. And I know that there are always going to be the naysayers who are purists, but I think that this is the most beautiful edition of Through the Desert that has ever been produced. Um, we have a beautiful illustrator that did the cover, um, but we all we did hire Damian Mamaliti, who is the artist who did brass, the boards for brass, mm. to do the boards for Through the Desert. Because if you want a beautiful top-down visual style for a game, that is the guy you want to do your boards. So we hired him to do the boards and spared no expense on the artwork for this game. Our original idea was to do wooden meeples for the camels. And honestly, it is like a 50-50 split on what people who are Through the Desert fans want. And ultimately, we have decided to keep the plastic camels and riders um, because that is really what players uh, – what, what it doesn't seem like it's like 
it's it seems like it's a split. People are like okay with the meatballs or like really want to keep the plastic camels. We decided that we we're going to keep the plastic camels. Um, they are a completely new sculpt, so we built a brand new mold for them. Um, I think they're a much nicer design, um, but they will have the same beautiful, you know, table presence that you have come to love and expect from through the desert through the years. Um, we we're also trying to keep a similar color palette, though make it much more colorblind friendly for um, players because the original edition uh, from Z-Man and Fantasy Flight we're not very uh, colorblind friendly, so we're working really hard to make sure that colorblind people can play this game well with the color palette that we're choosing for the caravans and for the leaders. So with the, the biggest change, right, is <sighs> this version of Through the Desert is going to be sold alongside an expansion called Through the Desert Bazaar. And this is a modular expansion with it has four different modular expansions inside of the box that can be played one in with the game or all four of them at the same time. You can throw all four of them together and have like a mega crazy game of through the desert. Um, but what those expansions are, are there is one, which is the crocodile expansion, which basically adds a crocodile to the board that changes possession of the players turn by turn and will allow you to block certain players when you have the chance to control the crocodile. The second expansion is a rival nomads expansion, which basically adds end game scoring conditions to the game of through the desert. So most player with the most caravans to uh, reach an oasis or, you know, the, the, you know, you're basically giving yourself goals in the game to hit for, for end game victory points. Right. Um, then I'm going to get to the two big expansions. Right. So one of the expansions is the salt mines expansion, which adds salt mines to the board that you can connect to the outside edge of the cities, which can score big victory points. In fact, it's one of the biggest ways to score victory points. If if you're the first one to make a connection from a salt mine to a city, you can score 15 victory points, which is really big. Um, and that is a big thing that kind of turns it almost into a little bit of a pick up and deliver game. The final expansion is probably the biggest game changing one. Um, you remove certain water holes that are of value three, two, and one from the game, and you add in watering hole tokens that are trade goods or um, so there's trade goods and there are camel markets, right? And those two things, when you get a trade good, it's worth zero. But when you pick up a second trade good, you actually have someone to trade with. So basically when you, you're kind of collecting these trade goods and thematically having one is not useful, but when you have a second one, you've basically found two markets to trade with. And that is now worth 10 victory points. Um, so there's kind of a um, set collection thing that you're doing there. And then the fine, and then the other tokens are camel markets, which are worth zero victory points. But on a future turn, you can spend them to add an extra camel placement on your turn to do something with, right? So it can provide a lot of really neat strategies. And I've seen people playing this expansion that have been like, I'm going to set up my leaders in a position so that I can grab like seven of these camel tokens and then spend them throughout the remainder of the game so that I can have lots of extra camels on them for either camel majorities or for locking up edges of the 
board for victory points, um, for scoring lots of tokens all at once, but they're not worth any victory points intrinsically in and of themselves. So it adds a lot of different variety to the gameplay. Um, Reiner Knizia has been um, helping work on all of these expansions with us, giving feedback, development tools, and the developers that are working on this game are huge fans of Through the Desert and Reiner Knizia. So we have lots of approval from all of the people that think that this is going to be a very good addition of the game. So that would be what I would say is the biggest difference is our version is actually going to come with an expansion of four modular expansions that you can add to Through the Desert that have never been available before. Awesome. I'm excited for it. I actually have never played Through the Desert, but I'm really excited for this edition because I've been trying to get my hands on it. So to kind of wrap this whole thing up in a nice boat and... Oh, to kind of wrap this whole thing up in a nice bow, if someone is listening to this, what is what is one thing you want to you know tell backers, people who might be interested, who might be on the fence? What is one thing you want to leave with them about this campaign and maybe why they should back it? Um, so, I mean, the reason that you should back an all-play campaign is because um, we deliver in five months, five to six months between when the campaign ends and when you're going to actually get your games. Uh, we have a really tight turnaround and we have a very proven track record. We also try to offer a value for all of our campaigns that if you back our campaigns all in, um, there are a, a lot of very cool special additional bonuses that you're going to get. So there's always cool add-ons and upgrades that you're going to get for your games. Um, so if you back all in, the Through the Desert expansion is actually going to be free for you to purchase uh, for, for the game. So that's a $20 expansion you're going to get for free, as well as upgrades and deluxe components for both switchbacks and th uh, a message from the stars. Um, so that's the number one reason. And then I will, I will leave you with a bit of a teaser here. So Allplay is doing something brand new starting in this campaign. Um, and I can speak very limitedly about it. But basically, if you are an all-in backer of this campaign and any future campaign that we have, you are going to get a special medallion that is going to have a code on the back of it. What that code is going to be is for special free gifts in the future that you will have exclusive access to for a period of time. And so if you back this all in, there will in the future be, a, be an opportunity to get really cool things that we're working on for free for exclusively that you will have access to and nobody else that does not have one of these medallions will get for a while. So that's all I can really say. And I wish I could say more, <laughs> but we are trying to keep this very secretive because we don't want to spoil it and have people, you know, rushing to get these. We want people that are like big fans of all play to get access to these tokens. And they, I will just say they are going to be very pleasantly surprised when we actually, uh, announce what those free gifts are going to be, but we have been spending a lot of time and effort in developing this program, and it's going to be something that we are super excited about um, releasing in the future. And uh, in a couple of months, when the campaign's over, we will be letting people know what that is going to look like. But the only way currently to get one of those medallions is to back the campaign all in. Leaving me with a carrot on a stick, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, man, that's that just sounds awesome. So I'm excited for this. I'll I'm, I got to talk to my spouse and see if she'll let me do the all-in. Because <laughs> I'm like, because I'm a really big fan of your guys' game. So we'll see if I'll, I'm able to get onto that. 
Well, Joe, we're out of time here. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking about these games. So last minute information, if people want to support All Play, when can they back? When does the campaign go live? October 24th at 9 a.m. Central Time. Okay, awesome. Any final words for our listeners? Final words for the listeners is, uh, you know, we're, we just keep trying to make really great games and great products for your game night. Uh, we really love the community that we're building. We love to be a reputable uh, publisher that you can trust in and that you know are going to keep making quality games because we have a very high standard for what we're looking to put out onto the market. And I promise you that we are that these are games that you are going to love and play over and over again. Uh, one of the favorite things that we like to say here at All Play is we make games that you actually play. I mean, a lot of people back a lot of Kickstarters and those games sit on the shelf for years and years. Um, I can guarantee you that if you back this Kickstarter, you can get all of these games played at the next game that you go to all in one night it's that we try to make very accessible approachable games with very deep strategy and very um very just really great gameplay so um we hope that you back us we hope that you come check out the kickstarter campaign and uh if there's any questions that you have you can reach out to us uh on the kickstarter campaign that launches october 24th Awesome. And this is and this is for me too. No financial incentive to do this. I, I don't get anything from this. This is one of the best companies right now in board gaming. I, me and Andrew talk about you guys a lot. We love all playing for Voyagers. It's a company you can trust. All their games like I don't I don't stress all their games are either really good or great and you can trust them. So definitely if you're worried about, you know, can I back this Kickstarter? I don't know. You can trust this company. So, Joe, thank you for giving your time. As always, my name is Josh, and this has been The Periscope. 